So today's message is uh, we're kind of wrapping up uh, what happened after Easter, what happened after the resurrection, right? Uh, we often go from uh, uh, December, Christmas to culmination in Easter, and we kind of just relax after the resurrection. You know, he is risen, and we all we say he is risen on Easter Sunday, and everybody says he is risen indeed, and we kind of take the summer off <laughs> after that, right? Um, so I thought it was, it was an interesting study to uh, look at the accounts in the Gospels that I've listed there for you and highlighted in Luke and John especially that they devote uh, quite a few verses to the events after Jesus was resurrected, 53 verses in Luke and 56 verses in John. So we're going to be wrapping up uh, I'm fairly sure, and uh, covering a few of these topics, uh, what is faith, came to light in some of these readings, the blessings of faith, and then after Jesus came, right, he was with everyone, and then he was tragically uh, crucified, and then the promise of his resurrection was fulfilled, then he disappears, he appears, he plays peekaboo with the disciples. Here I am, there I'm not, I'm over here, then I'm over there. And then finally, don't, he says to Mary, don't hold on to me because I'm going to ascend to my father. It's like, what? <laughs> um, we could approach this in... in, uh, in get quite a reaction from, you know, what is going on here? Jesus comes and then he goes. And so <clears throat> I think it's worthy to dive into this. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we highlighted last time, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. How do you like that? <laughs> Let's steal that for our, for our epitaph when we're, when we're gone, huh? Curtis, W.E., the one who Jesus loved. How do you like that, huh? Does that sound kind of weird, but that's uh, what reading John and how... Like I said, it's like he had a wrist bracelet. He knew that he was loved by God. His love language is probably words of affirmation, that those words rang true from, from him. As we saw last time, the word love and love is is mostly used by the apostle John. Pretty cool. So reading... We're on the topic of what is faith? Faith defined. So uh, chapter 20, I'll be reading in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, 
and Thomas was with them this time. The doors were locked, and Jesus appeared and came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas specifically, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and still have yet believed. In the past, we would say, May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> right? So John 20, the one who Jesus loved. So what is faith? He tells the story of uh, doubting Thomas, right? It's ubiquitous with our uh, modern culture. I think we all could identify with Thomas, can't we? Unless I see, seen as believing, unless I see it myself, I will not believe. I think we all could identify with Thomas, although in this picture, this story as you read the Gospels, it appears that he's the one with the weaker faith, right, as opposed to the others, uh, who John sees the empty tomb and believes. Um. So here, uh, feel free to jot down Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith, in fact, believe, faith is actually defined by the Apostle Paul. And I love, I love, I love the way he defines this. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith defined. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'll say that again. Faith is, belief is, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And in this context, it's about Christ's prophecy, Christ's resurrection, his conquering, his power over the grave of which he prophesied. So many of the disciples, you know, heard the news. They couldn't believe it. They thought the, the Marys were uh, speaking nonsense, right? They couldn't believe it. Yet some believed. And Jesus had to appear before them to actually believe and showed many proofs that he believed. But the Apostle Paul talks about faith. In 11.1, then he goes on in 11.3 to kind of define faith uh, a little further. For example, he says, do we believe in creation? We need faith to believe in creation, the world, right? Paul explains in Hebrews 3, by faith, all right, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command right? So that what is seen was not made out of what is visible, obvious, scientific, just like 
Thomas saying, I won't believe unless I see it. Like modern, postmodernism, post uh, our scientific age, I won't believe it unless it's proven by science. But we believe there are miracles every day, right? The birth of a new child is a miracle. When you see the transformation of a of a caterpillar to a butterfly that are flying around right now. It's very cool. When you see the floating, hovering uh, uh, wings of a hummingbird, it's like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. Those of you that garden, right, out of dirt, mud, of like nothing, comes something. It's very much like what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in 11.3. Uh, we, by faith, we understand that the universe, the things that are produced for us, the mountains, the trees, nature, uh, vegetables right before our eyes, were formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible or known, right? So it's interesting, going back to the famous quote again in 11.1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about those things that we do not see. So that theme is carried through to these accounts of faith in Jesus' resurrection. In Luke 24, it says, The woman took spices and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And this uh, other wonderful quote that I just love. They saw two men or angels standing beside the tomb, and they asked the Marys, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's asking them about their faith. Why are you looking for Jesus in the crypt, in the tomb? So I want to share something, a story that I've shared before, but it seemed appropriate here. This quote by the uh, angels, uh, presumably, that spoke to the Marys, why do you look for the living among the dead, was basically my first sermon that was composed in my head when I was about nine or ten years old. It hit me as I was going through this, why do you look for the living among the dead? You see, when my grandmother passed away, I was about way high to my mother's hip. Um, I still remember my mom bringing me. I don't know why she brought me. She didn't have to. She brought me to her bed where she had passed away. Why would my mom do that? I don't know. She did. But providence-wise, let me back up a little bit. Uh, The stories that we're talking about here of Jesus' resurrection are kind of pointing to his his leaving and ascension and his promise that he's going to send a helper, a preview to the Holy Spirit, right? So back to my story. Here I was just a little kid, she brought me to see grandma's body, uh, for gosh sakes. And it was a little frightening, 
um, it was it was definitely a little frightening, a little traumatic. Um, some I remember even my one of our close aunts in San Francisco had passed away, and I remember specifically us going, and my brother, older brother, saying, "I don't want to see her." I don't want to see her. I want to remember her the way I remember her because he was, I remember that distinctly. But for some reason, my mother brought me, a little kid, to see the body of my grandmother, um, Grandma Mabel. I don't know if you, any of you knew our family, but hovered over Grandma's body was the youngest daughter, was the youngest daughter, broken, crying, torn up that her mother had passed away. And I believe, you know, when did I become a Christian? I think it was at this very moment. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to my soul truth and compose basically the same thing the angel asked Mary. Why do you look for the living among the dead? That went through my soul, my mind, my nine-year-old mind. I, was, I wanted to preach to my auntie. Of course, I didn't. So it wasn't, necess- wasn't technically a sermon because I didn't utter anything. But it was the first message that was composed to my mind was that grandma is not there. Truth. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? So ever since then, that belief, that blessing of having faith, truth, ever since I was nine or ten years old, or... I forgot how old I was, has been with me ever since. So for, I would say, 50 years, I have not had a fear about death. Well, I take that back. I have a fear about dying (laughs) itself. But the fear, the question of what happens after in the afterlife. Is there an afterlife? Is there life after death? The Buddhist thought of after this life, there's just nothingness, right? Right? Um, You know, where do we go after this? You know, are we stuck in the ground forever, right? You know, those of you that have uh, gone through those funeral services in recent memory, you have to think about, you know, they talk about, this is our deluxe casket, right? This one will last so many years. It's guaranteed for so many years, right? And you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, which, which one? If I'm in there, <laughs> six feet under, you know, what, what kind of casket do I want? Do I want a waterproof one? Do I want to pay extra for this one? You know? Ever since a boy, I never had that fear because I knew that there was an afterlife. I had that blessing of knowing, having faith. So let's get back to the scriptures here. 
And we could see from the Apostle John, he also had the blessings of having faith, or he describes it. So I'm sorry, it's a little small. Um, it's uh, out of John 25, verse 5. He, John, the one who Jesus loved, looked at the strips of linen lining there, but he did not go in. Then he allowed Simon Peter to come along behind him, and he, uh, Simon Peter went straight to the tomb. And finally, <laughs> remember, John has to throw in there, the one who reached the tomb first uh, also went inside. He saw not the resurrected Jesus, but the empty tomb. And the scripture says he believed. He believed. And a few verses later in verse 29, he, uh, I think, quotes Jesus saying, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So going back to Thomas, the Thomas story. Thomas, you believe because you have seen, all right? Proof. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's the blessing. What is the blessing? Now faith, this is it. Going back to the Apostle Paul in Hebrews, faith is, this is the blessing, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. John had more faith than Thomas. I have had that faith in confidence and assurance of life after death that the Bible speaks of, that our souls are, we are but sojourners or wanderers on this earth, that our citizenship is in heaven, that this is our citizenship is in heaven. This is but a temporary existence. I have had that blessing of confidence and assurance about the mystery of life beyond the grave for over 50 years. Like I said, it doesn't mean I don't mourn it. It doesn't mean that I don't fear dying. It doesn't mean that the valley of the shadow of death is an ominous thing. But I have possessed this assurance that our lives do not end or at our last breath, that our lives do not end at our last breath, and that our existence just doesn't, poof, uh, cease to exist. This is how I can officiate dozens of memorial services with hope from Scripture. Exercising faith is not just a set of beliefs or religion or a set of rituals, but having faith in action is, uh, produces confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about the things that we do not see. The Apostle Paul continues in Hebrews with another example, example number two. In Hebrews, he speaks of the faith of Noah. Out of holy fear, God warned him about the flood. And in Hebrews eleven seven, it says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he was commended. Oh, by his, sorry, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with his faith. So example number two. So that is pretty cool that the scripture, the apostle Paul defines 
what faith is. And you see a couple examples of the disciples exercising their faith and being blessed by believing, having faith, trust, in other words, in things not seen or things promised or things taught by Scripture, by Jesus himself. Okay, uh, moving on to uh, our last point here. Why did Jesus have to ascend? <laughs> Why did Jesus have to ascend? That was another question I had coming to these, uh, these passages in Scripture after uh, he appeared, he was resurrected, da 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 triumph. Why couldn't he just stay, <laughs> right? Establish his kingdom. Uh, everything is good. You know, they're fishing. They're not catching anything. Jesus says, ah, throw it on the other side of the boat. They throw it on the other side of the boat. There's lots of fish, and they have a party. Gosh, hanging out with the resurrected Jesus. Why couldn't the party just keep going on? But no, 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 no. Let's look in John, John 20, verse, uh, what is it, 16. John 20, 16. Mary, thinking he was a gardener, said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And in verse 17, Jesus gives a glimpse or a clue why he has to ascend and glimpses of the Holy Spirit that the movement of today's message and these passages are pointing to. Jesus says, do not hold on to me. So that question, why couldn't you just stay? Why couldn't this be a grand party? Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me. Me, in the flesh here. The resurrected Jesus, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead, tell my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, who is your Father, and to my God and your God. So these clues about the Trinity, about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in different forms, all these uh, theological things are coming to a head here in these terms. So Jesus' ascension, or leaving, it appears that he's leaving again, absurdly leaving again, but his ascension, just as he was resurrected, as soon as he was resurrected, he appears to leave again after these appearances uh, over a number of days. But it means he takes his place on the throne over all of heaven and all of earth. This is what his ascension means, okay? Not so much, this, that's what I learned from Scripture doing the study, is not that he's leaving us again, all right? That's my kind of natural reaction when I see this. But he's actually ascending to his throne. So this is his victory. This is his coronation. He won. He was resurrected. He had victory over the grave. This is his tatra, okay? This is how it is happening. Uh, in scripture, um, it is said and taught that heaven is in the sky, all right? Heaven is in the sky. So Jesus 
ascends to heaven on his throne. And I always kind of thought, well, he's going that way. He's not here anymore. He's going there. But Jesus says, um, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 8, all authority, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in a sense on heaven, it's not like he's lost authority on earth. He's, he's uh, given authority of all the heavens and of all the earth. Everything, okay? Everything. So this is, uh, Jesus is this kind of uh, view to his omnipresence. He was, a, he was a person. He was a baby. He was a person. He was physically crucified. His close family and friends were mourning him. But now he's appearing here and there. This is his resurrected self, his glorified self. He can be omnipresent. Now he's ascending, appearing to leave to his throne, but he can be on his throne and with you always at the same time. This is his new form. He has been given uh, authority of, uh, on heaven and of earth, all of it. So Jesus sends, ascends to heaven on the throne. He is at the right hand of God, and now he commissions what do kings often do, right? What do kings often do? They knight, you know, uh, knights Templar, I knight W, whatever. They uh, delegate authority to uh, different people. This is what Jesus is doing to us, commissioning us, the disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This reminds me of the Roman Empire, right? Um, you guys have seen different movies from the Roman Empire, right? Gladiator and all these other things, right? Where they're, uh, you know, the, the king doesn't go and fight the battles, <laughs> right? He sends the army. And what do they have before them? What do they carry? The standard, right? It's like the flag, right? The, the standard of Rome goes before them. You know, some, the standard bearer, Right? The guy's carrying the standard of Rome. What, what, what is the standard? All authority and power of the Roman Empire is in the standard. If I have the standard, you guys better watch out, basically, right? All the power and authority of the standard goes before them. This is what Jesus is doing. Therefore, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So this is God's delegated power to his uh, 
us disciples, the disciples. And then he says, this is the promise. Then he starts speaking. This is the promise of the power from on high, right? God's standard, God's power, power from on high. So in Luke, we'll close with just a couple passages here that give hints of this other, this power. Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There it is right there. Okay, a couple summary thoughts of all these passages as we look forward to uh, Acts chapter 1. Jesus establishes his authority over life and death itself, heaven and earth. The realms that we experience as humans, we experience life and we experience death, right? It's big question marks that this permanency, the temporariness of our life, this arc that we have, we're here today and gone tomorrow, like the uh, grass of the fields, right? Jesus establishes his authority over life and death, heaven and earth. He gives many proofs of his resurrection, of his resurrected body, clues that he starts introducing his omnipresence. When he was just Jesus, he was not omnipresent, right? When he was in the temple, lost as a baby, his parents went home to Jerusalem, (laughs) right? He wasn't with them and back there and, oop, I'm late. He didn't snap his fingers and just, you know, how many of us, when we were kids, when we were late, you know, getting home and going to get in trouble, we could have just went, oop, okay, I'm here, <laughs> right? He didn't pull that card as, ba- as uh, 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 junior Jesus. He was not omnipresent, but here, after his resurrected body, he introduces his omnipresence. He goes through walls, the doors were locked, and he shows up. He's here, then he's God, then he's there, then he's at the right hand of God. But at the same time, he'll be with you always. And if you search the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus was there even before even before he was born. Before God was in the temple, right? The Old Testament. In the temple, they worshiped God. In the Ark of the Covenant, in Mount Sinai. Jesus, in the crypt, we mourned him, but now he's omnipresent. Jesus says, I will be with you until the very end of time. I will be with you, with you, even though I could be at the right hand of God. Jesus is everywhere now. Next, he wants to dwell, this mind-blowing concept, inside every believer. That's his next hat trick, okay? First it's going through walls, then it's showing up here, there, ascending to heaven, being with us, okay? So Jesus just just doesn't want to sit in the pew and worship with us. He just doesn't want to be part of the congregation. He just doesn't want to be part of your family. He wants to dwell inside you and I is his next trick, his next amazing miracle.
All right. <clears throat> Thanks for your kind attention. So, all right, let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you gathering with uh, our brothers and sisters and uh, learning, worshiping, and learning along with one another. God, we pray that you would uh, enlighten us, open our minds, uh, just as you did the disciples when you were resurrected. God, in our own strength, God, we can't understand these uh, amazing things that you have placed here. God, but as our Heavenly Father, that we trust, uh, give us the blessing of faith, God, like the Apostle Paul describes, that our blessing, blessed are those that believe, that have faith, that trust in you, our Heavenly Father, and the benefit of being your children, sons and daughters, is assurance and confidence about these big things. We thank you, God. We ask that, uh, that, that confidence, that assurance will turn into peace, God, because you are heavenly, loving Father. So all these big things, God, that you would give us peace beyond, that goes beyond understanding. So with these things we ask and pray until we meet again. And all God's people said, amen.